Uh, it's good to be here this morning and uh, excited. Last night was a very sad night in the community of Midland Park, not because we, anything bad happened in the sense of someone, but our softball team, we've been rocking it all year. We were 13-2 and two going into the semifinals, and we lost. One bad inning. By the second inning, I turned to the ump. I said, it's in the bank. And he's like, it's in the bank. And by the fourth inning, I'm like, we're dead. He's like, you're dead. So um, it's been a good season. It's been a blast. One of the things about parenting, I, I really think, and this has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning, is the opportunity to, to get involved in our kids' lives, to coach, to really be present, not just for our children, but for other people's children. In many ways, we never realize the role models that we are to others, that when we step up as fathers and mothers and coach these kids, whether it be in athletics or, or other things, uh, we get to speak into their life in a whole new way. And so since Midland Park softball is over, we need to up the antes for the Ramsey baseball team. They got some stuff going on, right? Playoffs are this week. Let's be praying for the Ramsey, what do you guys, Rams? Okay. What, what are you guys, blue, red? What's your mascot? You don't got a mascot? Okay, the Ramsey Hig Higbees, right? That's their new mascot. So let's be praying for them. Um, I'm very excited. It's been funny because um, we really encouraged you and challenged you this summer that as you go through the summer, it's so easy on a Sunday morning to make this a third or fourth or fifth priority, correct? How many Sunday mornings when you look outside, you're like, beach. You don't even say church. But what we really challenged you all was that, that this summer, we want to continue to push you guys into knowing Christ and what? Making Him known. Our desire as a church is not just for you to come and to see and to hear the band and, and hear the preacher, but we truly long to engage you in knowing Christ. That, that you get to know, just like we, we just sang that song, yes and amen, that you all would have the opportunity to know Christ. And in knowing Christ, that you would know His will for your life. Isn't that all what we want? That we really have this, this deep, innate desire to feel that we are living in path with our Creator. That we really have these moments that when we, when we stop and look at everything we're doing, we're like, I am in my sweet spot that God has created me for. And it's sad because even when you look at such a world of, of affluency in our area that, that there's so many men that I will meet with and talk with and, and it's like they're successful in, in the world's standards and they have everything in, in the world's standards and, and then, but they still feel like I'm off. Something's not right. And our desire as a church is to really help you understand that God has created you for so much more than this. That has created you to have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And in that, that you would be living in that sweet spot on this earthly life. There's nothing sweeter than that. It takes you through trials. It takes you through temptations. It takes you through loss. It takes you through failure. Because when you have that, that moment of victory, you're like, this is what I was created for. And so what we've been doing this summer is we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been going through each of, the, each of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. We've been saying all along that it's not the fruits plural, but it's the fruit. And in that fruit, there are nine 
attributes. That the Holy Spirit, that when we, are, when we know Christ and we are His follower, that when we have Him in our lives, that He wants to birth and give life and manifest Himself in us. That we would know Him and know that we are not only living in that sweet spot, but that we are reflecting that to the world around us. So the last few have been really good. They've been hard. They've, they've challenged us, but we've kind of walked away. We've talked about love, right? We love love. Everyone needs love. But we really looked at love through the lens that, that to really understand love, we need to understand God's love. We talked about joy and, and how like we all long for the sense of joy, the sense of, of eternal fulfillment, not temporary happiness. And it's, it's something that we all want and we desire. Last week we had talked about peace. And when we looked at peace, we, we didn't try to say, let's find peace in our circumstances, but to understand that, that true peace is only found in God, in Christ. And when we reconcile our lives to Christ, that when we know that we are His and He is ours, that, that our circumstances, that we find peace in those circumstances. And so those are all the ones that, that we really enjoy and we're like, yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally can connect with that. But then there's going to be some that are going to pop up that were like, please don't talk about this one this week. Because whenever you talk about these things, it's almost like something goes in the overdrive. You ever been outside and you have a, you have a, a, a fly or something that's just bugging you, a, a bug that just keeps getting on you, and the, and the more you swat it away, what does it do? It comes back, right? The more it comes at you, and the more you push it away, what does it do? It just keeps flying on you and landing on you, and, and it's the worst. And no matter what you do, the more, and you're just like, just leave it alone. Don't touch it. What happens? It lands right here. <laughs> and you just want to, bam! But that's what this next one's about. It's about that stupid fly. And all you want to do is crush it. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you swat, that fly seems to never, ever go away. So let's read through these fruits of the Spirit that are found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. They're going to be up here. And let's read it together. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, singular, in our lives. Let's say it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now flip it back to the first page. So we've talked about love. We've talked about joy. We've talked about peace. And this morning, we're talking about patience. Do you realize I have the potential to either make or break your week by bringing up this one topic? I will say this one time and I will never bring it up. When I realized I was preaching on it today, I wanted to get sick and not show up. Because I realize that everything that we're going to talk about, something's going to be pushing on me. That fly, they're going to be coming at me. But I truly believe this. We can keep that thing away as much as we want, but unless we deal with it and pull a little miyagi sun, right? Chopstick it. It's going to keep coming at us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank You for this morning. And God, we say yes and amen. We say yes, that you are a creator. 
We say yes, that you desire and long to have a relationship with us. We say yes, that in all that we see in this life, that we have the opportunity to engage in a life to know your will. To know the, that sweet spot that you've called us to live in. Not because of who we are or what we do, but because you are our creator and you love us. And Father God, this morning, I ask that as we bring up this whole topic, that this would not just be an annoyance or a fear or even a, a, a sense of defeat, but that God, that you would first reveal your patience to us and how you long for us to mirror that patience to others. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So when you look at this word, Jerry, would you pop that up again? When you look at this word, patience, there's certain things that come to our mind right now. Either circumstances or people. Correct? We think about people. Who said people? All right, there's Janet. Janet said people. Now here's the interesting thing. In our English language, the way we look at words and we define them, we would take this word and we would kind of mesh the two ideas together. Correct? We would think that, that God wants to give us the power for patience in all things. Right? And that is true. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying something very specific to what he is pointing to, to the patience that God wants you to embody in your life. The first word that we know about patience is hupomon. Don't repeat it after me. It'll sound weird if we all try to repeat it. It doesn't happen. And that's the word for patience. To persevere. To bear up. To be able to, to look at a situation and tackle it. It's one of those things that when we look at our jobs or our circumstances, that it is so hard that when we look at these difficulties that we're going through, that we're going to stick with it and we're not going to quit. And the reason we stay in this idea of, of patience in our circumstances is this, that we believe something will change. Correct? We believe that if we push through our circumstances and our trials, that if we just hold on, that all of a sudden, that in our perseverance, God will show up. And there is so much truth to that. It's the quality of a person to not give up under pressure. But then there's the other word, macrothuma. Don't say it. It'll sound weird. That's a whole different form of patience. It's a patience of long-suffering. It's a patience of dealing with others that we all have this tension with. It is the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so. You see, that's the patience that Paul is saying here. That's the word he's using. He's not talking about circumstances. He's not talking about what's going on in your job. He's not talking about the trials and tribulations of just the everyday circumstances of life. 
But he's talking about a patience in dealing with others. Now look at that statement. It said, it is the quality of a person who is able to avenge himself, yet refrains from doing so. Anyone feel that way this week? Yeah, Mandy just raised her hand. Thank you for your honesty. Everyone else is lying. But think about that. How many times have we had to deal with people that all of a sudden you're thinking like, I can get them. This is my opportunity to just nail them. This is my opportunity to just show who they are, their, their real character. Yep, told you so. And yet, having the ability to refrain yourself. Simple definition. The, the ability to deal with difficult people without getting angry. You see, I know a lot of people in this life that are patient in circumstances. But I only know a few who genuinely understand the patience of dealing with very, very difficult individuals. And I ask the question, which one is harder to deal with? The circumstances or the individuals? Because in this, what we can do is that, that we can actually really choose that, that I can choose when I want to be patient, right? I can choose that, that when I feel wronged. I can choose when, when I want to take revenge. Because that's our human nature. And so we pick and choose when we want to live in a state of patience with others. And you know what's the saddest thing about all this for all you parents out there, including myself? There are so many times, and all of you can agree with me, that there are things that your kids do that you are so quickly impatient with them. And yet with others, you always give them a little bit more grace. And then you wonder why your kids don't want to be with you. Do you know how many times my kids have tried to play that parenting card, with, uh, that pastor card with me? Hey, Mr. Pastor, bet you didn't talk to Cooper like that. Hey, Pastor, bet you didn't talk to Josh like that. And I find myself that, that I pick and choose when I want to be patient. And not only being patient in circumstances, but, but patient with individuals. But if Paul says that, that this is what you will have in you, he's saying it's not something that we turn on and off like a light switch. But rather, it's something that he wants to birth in us. That it is continually there with us. I want to do look at two passages this morning. Because I think in these situations, the hardest thing to hear is five steps to patience. Right? Because you're going to get home and you're going to be like swearing at me, kicking me, making voodoo dolls, saying he has no idea what he's talking about. And you're going to sit here and you're going to have five things and you're going to put it on your dashboard for one week. One week alone. And those five things in a month from now will get you nowhere. But as I really looked at this whole idea, I started thinking like, I first need to understand God's patience. 
And then what is patience? Like, how do I truly live out the patience that I'm talking about? You see, we all know the story of Noah and the ark, right? We know the story of, of how, how God looked on this earth and, and all of a sudden He was so angry and disappointed and he, and he was so hurt by humanity that He smited the world. And so oftentimes when we look at the story of, of Noah's ark, we look at an angry, vengeful God. Correct? Is that right? That oftentimes when we hear this, this idea of, of Noah's ark, we, we hear this story of this, this angry God who looks down on earth and, and hates everything he sees. And by chance he finds one good person. He's like, you know what? I guess I can't do it. I'll take one and his family and, and all the animals get in there. And I'm going to torture them for 40 days because it's going to stink so bad. And all these different things. But when I studied Noah's Ark, that's not the biblical story. There's some truth to what I just said, but, but let me just read you a little bit about it. It says, So the Lord was sorry. This is in Genesis 6.6. 6. So the Lord was sorry He had ever made them and put them on the earth. And it broke his heart. There is a truth that, that as God looked at humanity and, and he saw all of the wickedness going on, that he was sorry at what he had created. But it's in this that we think that right there and then that, that God's like, I'm just going to smite humanity. I'm going to take them out. But let's look a little bit further. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have ever created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds in the sky. And I'm sorry I ever made them. He said it twice. But then he says this, but Noah found favor with the Lord. You see, God did not create humanity to destroy. That's an evil, vengeful creator. But when we look at that story, that's all we think about. But, but all of a sudden, after he talks about his sadness and his sorrow and his frustration with humanity, he says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. You see, why did God create the earth? Did He create it for for the birds and for the ground and for the oceans and for the landscape. No. He created creation. So His greatest creation, us, would be in relationship with Him. But here's where we get lost. You see, if God was, was this vengeful, angry God and was impatient to the point of completely dismissing humanity, he would have never saved Noah. And here's the one thing that we forget about Noah is the time that God had given Noah to build the ark. And the only thing that we think that God had told Noah to do was to, to what? Build a boat. 
right? When we think about Noah's Ark, when we think about the story of what goes on, when we've read it to our children, or, or when we were little and we either we went to Sunday school or CCD and, and we heard about Noah's Ark, all we heard that what he was supposed to do was what? Build the ark and gather the animals. Do you know how long it took Noah to build the ark? 120 years. And do you know what he did during those 120 years that God told him to do? Go preach my righteousness to them. So when we think about Noah building an ark, we just think about him. Hey, you got kids, boys, go get all this stuff. Round up all the wood. Stay away from the bad neighbors. Stay away from those, those neighbors that are doing naughty things. Gather all the wood. Let's shave it down. Let's put it together. Let's build this ark. But that's not what Noah only did. As he built the ark for 120 years, he preached the message of God to them. And the reason he preached the message of God to them was what? To call them back to God. To call them to a place of repentance. And so, so often when we think about this whole idea of Noah's ark, all we think about is is him building this boat and and shunning his neighbors and and protecting his family and being exclusive, right? We're going to exclusively live over here and build this ark for 120 years. Imagine how long it would have taken the boat if he didn't preach. Seriously. Imagine if he didn't have to take that time and delegate to his boys. Imagine that time that he didn't have to step away from the work site. But instead, God could have been completely vengeful. But even in that moment, He gave humanity another chance. 120 years of being patient with those who should have gotten it. Right? We're not even patient for 120 seconds with our children. Right? I mean, seriously, after two minutes of our kid, that's what happens. And yet we see this picture of of true patience with God. That God is sorrowful. He is angry. And yes, His judgment fell. But He was long-suffering. Because it says in 2 Peter that, that he desires that no man perish. I mean, how wicked would that be if God created us to send us to hell? How wicked would that be if God said, you know what? I'm going to create all of you and you're going to hell. And we're going to heaven. Notice the side that I choose? I'm with you guys. I don't want to be with them. But that's often how we look at God. It's like, hey, flip a coin, A or B. But God created humanity in His image. And He revealed His patience to us that while we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. That's the Gospel. That in our brokenness, in our totally messed up selfish, consuming, individualistic lives. God desires to draw us 
back. Let me share another little biblical story with you. It's found in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And I love how Jesus taught. Because when Jesus taught the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Zealots and all those religious leaders that came around, they wanted law. They didn't want story. They wanted, tell us what to do and we will do it. The problem was, for how many years was God telling them what to do when they weren't doing it? Forever. And so Jesus taught in parables. Now listen to how this parable begins. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now think about that with patience. Are we talking about patience here or forgiveness? Does Peter want a life lesson on, on how to deal with circumstances or deal with difficult individuals? He's saying, God, what do I do when that person keeps kicking me in the head? God, what do I keep doing to that person at work who, who keeps taking my, 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 my space and my, all of my advances? How? How do, I, how do I deal with this individual that's stealing my customers? God, how do I deal with that coach that always chooses to put their, their kid, who's not a better hitter, above mine? I mean, this is what happens when you grow up and you get big people jobs and you have children. It even says, do I have to forgive him seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied. But 77 times. I'm sorry, but 70 times seven. 70 times would be easy. Our kids would be in trouble by three years old. 70 times seven. Then Jesus goes on and tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be, what? Compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. How much? Okay, some of you guys think you have a big mortgage. This is bigger than a lot of them. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the, ma the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, what did he ask him to do? Be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Isn't that how we want Wells Fargo to deal with us? Isn't that, isn't that how we want Chase to deal with us? I'm just going to run through all of your mortgage companies. Like, isn't that what happens? That when you look at it, you're like, I'm going to pay this down. What can I do with this? I hate this house. But when the man left, I'm sorry, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, check this out, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat. Coop, let me do this to you. Come here. Grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. 
You better pay me now, Coop. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. Dumb tattletales. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you. I forgave you. I forgave you a million dollars. That tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. I saw you. I saw your pain. I saw your frustration. I saw in your eyes how hard you were working to try to pay this off. I saw that sense of loss. I saw that sense that you were beaten down, that you were defeated. And I didn't grace you with time. I graced you by forgiving what you owed me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Check out the king. Then the, the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Jesus, you didn't talk to me about forgiveness. You didn't tell me the 12 steps how to forgive the person that has hurt me. You told me about patience. I mean, think about the story that Jesus had just told. He said, let me show you in human terms how, how God is patient with you, but how you are impatient with others. That's all Jesus was saying right here and there. Is the, I'm going to give you a picture of how humanity cries out for God's mercies. Cries out for God's blessings. Cries out for God in the midst of, of loss. I mean, think about the last time you really prayed. What were you praying for? More than likely circumstances. Crying out to God, God, my mortgage, God, my job, God, my house, God, I can't go to Disney World, God, I can't this, God, blah, blah, blah. And, and so often God shows up. See, I'm, I'm just going to rescue you. Just to show you how much I love you. I'm going to show you how much I love you by, by rescuing you out of your circumstances. I'm going to show you how, how patient I am even in the midst of your wrongdoing. I'm going to show you that, that when you fail at something, I don't come and beat you up and point it out. I forgive you and I open my arms to you. And I forgive you in such a way that it's a clean slate. The Bible says that, that God throws our sins as far as the what? The east is to the west. In other words, it's going out there. You can't find it. If you go to the right, it may be at the left. If you go to the left, it may be at the right. You can't find it. But here's the problem. 
I forgive you greatly. And you can't forgive others. The simplest, littlest things. I've talked to so many parents who their whole lives just, they rode their children. They emotionally just, just always crafted them into what they wanted to be. I mean, right now, I coach softball. And I see all these girls. And I remember the first travel game we had. We were playing down here on uh, um, Commodore Perry Field. Is that the, is that the, the really nice one? Um, not the other ones are nice too. And I remember the first game. The coach, who's a friend of mine, kicking buckets, chucking things. Beep, pop, 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 beep, pop, 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 beep. And all of a sudden, Big Papa comes up. We had to be there at 6.30 in the morning the next day for a tournament. And I pulled him aside, put my arm around my buddy. I'm like, you ever do that again? We're going to have a problem. You are destroying these little girls. If I hear you raise your voice and curse them out, you can raise your voice, but if I hear you cursing them in a loud voice, I'm taking my daughter, who was the star pitcher at the time, she's with me. You want to talk about accolades? You want to talk about athletic achievements? Let's go to toe-to-toe. Don't you ever, ever. Do you know all these coaches that I've coached with, all their daughters that were under this oppression have either left the sport or will not be playing by junior year. But if they make it through high school, more than likely their relationship with their parents will be severed. Why? Why do these dads act like lunatics? Do I think it's bad to... Last night, I had to to get loud at the team. They were in the field and they were making errors all over the place. This one inning, we we had a 2-0 lead. We were supposed to kill this team. And and they weren't. So I'm like, guys, think. Think. Pop, fly, stop. Ground or run. But they were so hyped up for the game. It was okay that I told them what to do, but if I said, like, girls, what the? All the parents would have been like, When we think about others, we destroy the people we love with our impatience. We expect our boys to be something that we were never. We expect our daughters to be something that, that maybe they'll never achieve. We expect our coworkers to work harder than us. We put people on these standards that, that we just get this ability to say, you have to be better than me. Or Jesus says, you know, you're looking at that little speck in that person's eye, but you have a what in your own? A log. He didn't say a splinter, the difference between a a speck and a splinter. He took the difference between a speck and a log. And then Jesus says at the very end of the parable, it's like, this is how you treat others. You want God's grace, God's blessing, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's His eternal plan in your life right here. But when you look at others, you do the complete opposite. And Jesus says the way that you are able to forgive, what? You will be forgiven. Well, that's a parable. He doesn't really mean that. 
Think about that. If we know Christ, and we're saying that, okay, I've received forgiveness, how am I revealing forgiveness to others? Jesus says that's how you'll be judged. I hate that passage. Because there was a person in my life for years who I had zero tolerance for. And I was a young man in my 30s. And I came to a point that this person who had offended me and hurted me and and did so many things that just kind of kept demolishing and sabotaging my life, I said, that's it, I'm leaving the ministry. True story. Pulled suicide, I said, I'm going to give my resignation in, I can't do this anymore. I have so much anger and hatred and I can't do it. And all all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said one day, He says, don't leave. Forgive as I have forgiven you. And from that day forward, when I started taking my, my human glasses off and started seeing that individual through the lens of God, how God looks at me, I became a whole lot more gracious a whole lot more forgiving. I started inviting this person back into my life. I almost had a restraining order against this individual and it was not Sue. I mean, it was that bad that they were sabotaging everything. And all of a sudden, God said, love them as I have loved you. They'll get their due and I'll take care of them. But learn to love as you as I have loved you. You see, that's what what God is asking us to do. Do you truly want to know me? Then know me by allowing my presence, the Holy Spirit, to live in you. And I, God says, He will do the transforming in us. All we need to do is put ourselves in a position to allow God's forgiveness and grace and mercy to be revealed to us. And then we begin to see others through His eyes. We begin to see our children through a loving Heavenly Father who has a perfect will for their children. Do we still discipline them? Of course I do. God says He disciplines those He loves. Does He punish us? No. He disciplines us. And when I look at all the fruits that we've gone through first, love, the first thing we need to do is they all connect. We can never understand patience without understanding the love of God. A love that only comes from Him. And in that love, we have this new joy, this new sense that is not temporary happiness, but it's, but it's, it's deep, it's eternal. That even in our hardest times that that we have a joy like, like no other. And as we have that joy, and as we're going through difficulties, there are these moments in our life that this peace that surpasses all understanding guards our heart and mind as we're going through hard times. Amen? There are times that I'm like, how do I have this peace in this midst of this, this horrific situation? It's because God lives in you. You've experienced His love. You've experienced His joy. And He's saying, now I'm going to bless you with peace. And in that peace, we begin to reveal the patience of God to others. This is the Gospel story. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Not just up there, but here. And it says in John 3, it says, He did not come to what? Condemn the world. He came to reveal Himself. And so this week, it's not about the fly that's going to be annoying you, but it's now about, about taking what patience is and saying, God, I could never be patient, patient with others until I realize how you are patient with me. That's it. I could never truly be patient with others until I realize how you are patient with me. And that's where you need to this week take a long, hard look into your soul. How has God forgiven me? How has God graced me? How has God, when I deserved, when I deserved punishment, He corrected me? Because it's then and only then that we know the patience of God and reveal His patience to others. Amen? So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're coming to the Lord's table. And all I want you to say is, God, help me to see the patience you've had with me. Help me to see the patience you've had with me. And so I invite all who follow the way of Jesus to come and eat. I want to invite the band to come forward. Sue, would you take the table over there? But before you come up, take a moment and pray that. God, help me to see the patience you have with me. I invite all who follow the way of Jesus to come and eat. Come.